you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jocelyn. And I'm Emily. And, and we, we are Pearl, Pearl and the, the beard. beard. You're listening to KCOU Columbia 88.1 FM. Joe Miller and Cole Tusing. I hope everyone's having a good day. Um, let's start with some Mizzou news, shall we? Um, first things first, Mizzou women's basketball climbed back to the 500 mark by defeating Auburn over the weekend, 85-75, with five Tigers scoring in double figures, while the Tigers shot 56% from the field and 53% from three-point range. And women's basketball will be hitting the road tomorrow when they verse the number one seed in the nation, the South Carolina Gamecocks. Game action starts at six o'clock. And then men's basketball, they will hit, uh, they will verse Ole Miss tonight as they will battle at Mississippi. And Missouri's looking for its fourth straight victory, and this will be their third straight conference victory if they win tonight. And that game starts at eight o'clock. So let's start everyone by just previewing tonight's game. Mizzou is coming off a victory, a, I would not call it a thriller, but a victory against Alabama. And they are number 10th ranked in the nation right now. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But I just want to preview this game real quick because Mississippi, they're okay. Um, but Ryan, I'll start with you. Um, what do you think are some keys for tonight's game? You know, look, they definitely going to have to have some good defense going on. Um, like you said, Ole Miss just beat Auburn uh, by two, 86 to 84 was that score. Uh, and Ole Miss is just a team that could come out here and play spoilers. So Mizzou has to be ready at all points in time in, during this game. That means no turnovers, no dumb fouls, and they just have to play their game. Because they play like they did against TCU, uh, Mizzou could be in trouble. Yeah, I totally, I yeah, I can see this happening for sure. Um, well, let's take a look. Let's just pause for a second. We know the last couple of games, Mizzou likes to give fans heart attacks in a way. You know, we saw this against Alabama, right? I talked about this in the post game show, but the first half, right? They're up. I think I think it was up by twelve. I believe it was. Um, it seemed like Mizzou fans they were on the couch, nice and calm enjoying some chicken, enjoying a nice drink. But then when that second half hit, about halfway through, panic was rising. Okay, panic was rising. I don't know what was going on with that team. It, they looked complacent on the floor to me. But nevertheless, um, let's just break this down, shall we? So what I think some things that are key for tonight's game is they gotta, the Tigers have got, to stop making all these games so close because these are red flags. They are in danger, okay? These last three games, they have been in danger of losing their last three games. TCU, um, Kentucky, and Alabama. Against TCU, we saw an average defensive performance. And that would have handed Mizzou actually a regulation loss as opposed to an overtime win. Kentucky, that was a tough out despite its record and all that good stuff. Alabama, don't get me started with that second half. Only 24 points. That was not pleasant whatsoever. But 
What I'm going to say is that they need to come out playing defense like they usually should because they are a defensive specialist team. So let's think play defense before you play offense, in my opinion here. Uh, Drew Smith has been outstanding these last couple of games. I want to see his, his continuancy of dominancy. I want to see Jeremiah Tillman getting those easy baskets, one-hand flushes, and free, free, uh, free throw shooting. And Ole Miss, they have, an, they have an ability to score points. We saw it against Auburn. And this, I believe they also have, yeah, they can also basically hold anyone accountable in this SEC. They're capable of it. They're not a top team, though. But I'm going to see, I see Missouri coming uh, in front of this one. No, I definitely, and against this Ole Miss team, Ole Miss is a poor three-point shooting attempt. But like you're saying, they really hit their stride when it's the mid-range and in the paint, as you see from their shot selection. So, I think Ole Miss has a chance, maybe if they can hit a little more, a higher three-point percentage than we're used to seeing from them. But like you're saying, Mizzou has played down to their competition the past three or four games where against Alabama, they have a 20-point lead with 10 minutes left, and they almost blow it at the end. TCU, of course, took the overtime period to finish that one out. So I think we'll probably see another close game if the last three are any indication. But Missouri Tigers are the 10th team in the nation now, and they should be better than this Ole Miss team that's near the bottom of the SEC. Ole Miss, just for Ole Miss, just for everyone tuning in and listening, Ole Miss is right now 8th in the SEC when it comes to rankings. Of course, Joe just recently mentioned that Mizzou is currently top of the SEC when it comes to national rankings and 2nd in the SEC, only behind Alabama. But of course, Mizzou beat Alabama recently. Now, of course... Ole Miss definitely definitely gets some traction. You know, of course, they did just beat Auburn at Auburn, something that Mizzou couldn't do. And, of course, Ole Miss was able to get off a buzzer-beater shot from Devontae Shuler. And for you NBA fans, Devontae Shuler actually played on the same AAU team as Zion Williamson, the number one draft pick, and John Morant, the number two draft pick. And John Morant, of course, won Rookie of the Year. So Devontae Shuler definitely is the star of the team. And Mizzou typically beats... The bottom half teams in the SEC, of course, they beat AM, they beat Kentucky, they are about to play Ole Miss, they haven't played Vanderbilt yet, but I imagine everyone can agree Mizzou would beat Vanderbilt. I know they played out of competition, but Mizzou plays Vanderbilt. That's probably going to be an easy one for them. Um, I'm just picturing this game being close uh, again, like it was Kentucky and um, and all those good stuff. So I'm looking at Devontae Schuler. Um, this guy, like you just said, Cole, he's a very good player. I mean, let's see, he's averaging about 15, uh, 16 points a game, rather. He's not exactly shooting the best, but he still is a good contributor when it comes to defensive rebounds and assists. He has some good handles and all that good stuff. Then I'm looking at Romello White. This guy's averaging about 11 a game, shooting 67% from the field, so I want to keep that in mind. And he also is a good rebounder, and he's very good at distributing the basketball, so I'm looking at that. And then we get to Mizzou here. It's again with, I have, and then it has to do with X, right, for Mizzou. This guy, there's certain nights he shows up, other nights he's not showing up. So when he doesn't show up, Mizzou's usually in some big trouble, usually. But tonight, I feel like tonight's one of those nights that he's going to show up. I feel like Drew Smith will show up, and then I feel like Jeremiah Tillman is not going to show up in terms of points, but rather rebounds and assists. No, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see because this Tigers team has, throughout this whole season, been very fluky from the three-point line. If you look at how Ole Miss plays defense, they give a lot up a lot of three-pointers in favor of rim protection and just trying to make you 
or earn shots at the paint rather, and they're willing to give up those jump shots. So I, I think it's going to depend on if those more secondary Mizzou players can really hit those shots from three. Like we've seen games before where Mark Smith goes 0 for 5 from three. Right. We're going to need some of those guys to really step up and make those shots and make Ole Miss pay for their lack of three point defense. Yeah, I, agree. I totally agree with that. So I want to move on to our next question here because this has to, this basically pertains to Mizzou's rating right now. So for the first time in eight years, Mizzou actually has a top 10 men's basketball team according to AP. So they've climbed eight spots in the AP top 25 poll to number 10 on Monday. And this was after beating Kentucky and Alabama last week. And they're the high and they are the highest ranked team in the SEC. And on certain ballots, they appeared as high as five and as low as twenty and as low as twenty-five. So, uh, Joe, I want to start with you. Should Missouri be ranked number tenth in the nation? I think they should. So, obviously, some of their wins have been a little disappointing, especially for Missouri Tigers fans, just because, again, like I've said, they play down to their competition a little bit. They've had some close games, but. They've still squeaked out the wins in all of these. And when you look at the teams right below them, they just beat Alabama. I think they've earned that spot over Alabama. And then I think the case is, would you put Oklahoma or Texas up there? Because the Big 12 has had a good year so far in basketball from those teams from West Virginia. And then, of course, Baylor, who has the number two ranking in the nation right now. So I think there's a case maybe for sliding Oklahoma up to 10. But outside of Oklahoma, I don't really see another contender for that 10th spot. All right, well, I'm just going to read the teams above Missouri. So we got Gonzaga, totally agree with that, Baylor, Michigan, Ohio State, Villanova, Illinois, Texas Tech, Houston, Virginia, and then you got Missouri. So I'm looking at those teams below them. A couple teams that get my eye. We got Iowa, West Virginia, Texas, and you can put Oklahoma in that category too. I am someone that personally believes that Mizzou is ranked too high, Okay. Yes, they got those they got those wins. At the end of the day, it, it's all about the win. We get that. But when we see Oklahoma, Texas, West Virginia, Iowa, I am someone that says, can Mizzou beat those teams? I don't think they could. I don't think they could, especially Iowa. I don't think they could get that win out of that. And when you talk about a team, when you're going into March, that we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks about the tournament and all that good stuff, I am simply trying to say that this team is too inconsistent when it comes to players showing up, when players do not show up. We saw it, and it was a perfect illustration in Alabama with Mark Smith. We talked about how he scored 12 points in the first half, and he looked relatively decent. The second half, he went missing. He went missing. He was not to be found anywhere. He scored zero points in the second half. And I think we can all agree here that the second half is probably the most crucial part of a collegiate basketball game. I think we can all maybe agree in that standard. But he was not there. He missed, I think it was 0 for 6, something like that. He was he was gone, okay? X was missing. Drew Smith, lucky for us, that he, or lucky for Mizzou, that he was there. He was present. Tillman was present. He was getting rebounds and all that good stuff. But when you score 24 points in the second half of a collegiate basketball game, and you are versing a ranked opponent in Alabama, and you blew... A 21-point lead. Are you trying? I mean, that is just, that has to do everything with consistency. It has to do with being complacent. When you ha- when you play down your competition, Joe, like you said earlier about to Kentucky, if you're a really good team, such as the number 10 team in the nation, you are someone that people want to be afraid of playing. 
I don't know if these teams below Missouri are afraid to play them. I don't think they are. So, Luca, you talk about how, you know, some teams like Iowa and West Virginia would give Mizzou a good run and probably beat Mizzou. Well, Mm -hmm. before I answer this question about should Mizzou be ranked number 10 or not, I'm just going to talk about this a little bit. Okay. Need to remind you, West Virginia did play an SEC team in Florida in the SEC Big Big 12 championship game, challenge game, excuse me, and Florida actually beat them. So is that a testament to West Virginia being also wishy-washy just like Mizzou, or is that... Florida being way better in the SEC than people give them credit for. That's a good question. I think this has to do with the fact of West Virginia beating Missouri. Florida is underranked. I will give you that. But it has to do with them beating Missouri. I'm just talking about West Virginia and Missouri. That's it. I'm not talking about West Virginia playing Florida and all that stuff. So I'm going to stick with Joe's point, and I do agree. I think Mizzou should be ranked 10 in the nation. They beat number 6 Illinois. They shared a one-for-one with Tennessee, who is number 11 in the nation. Excuse me, number 16 in the nation. They beat number 11 Alabama. They beat Arkansas, who is receiving votes currently, so they're not ranked, but they're around the 28-29 range. Also, they have four Quadrant 1 wins, and they have three Quadrant 2 wins, which, for those who don't know college basketball and don't really know what a Quadrant 1 is, so it goes in Quadrant 1 win, Quadrant 2 win, Quadrant 3 loss, Quadrant 4 loss. Quadrant 1 win is a very quality team. Like You beat probably one of the best teams in the nation, and Quadrant 4 loss is... You should not have lost to them, and that's an embarrassing loss. The only team better at Mizzou when it comes to quadrant wins, quadrant one and quadrant two, is number one, Gonzaga. So Mizzou, in my opinion, is a quality team, and they should be around the 10th spot. Well, I can't dispute that because that's facts. But, I mean, that is a stat that is pretty well known. It just has to do with the fact it's a, it's more of a consistency issue for me, okay? I think uh, Conzo Martin knows this, that when March comes around, Missouri does have an advantage over other opponents because of their experience and the chemistry on the team. We see that. I mean, there are. Don't get me wrong. This team has a lot of playmakers that can make a difference. A lot of t- a lot of players that, in my opinion, have flown under the radar. This person in particular is Kobe Brown. Okay, this guy shows up when it matters the most. I know he makes timely shots. He he get he hits the glass. He he's able to distribute the ball. He is there. He is present. In my opinion, maybe he should be getting a couple more minutes per game. Maybe take Mark Smith out for a couple more minutes and put Kobe Brown in there. See what you can do. I know Mark Smith's a guard, but what's the harm of putting three forwards? And I don't see what the harm of that is. No, I, I think to your point, Missouri is definitely not at the level of schools like Baylor and Gonzaga. Where well, yeah, that's the given. They, they've been playing, I, I don't want to say perfect basketball, but just... Very fundamentally sound. Their point differentials are crazy. They've been winning games by a blowout margins, where Mizzou has kept it close in some of right. these matchups. So, obviously, I think there's a bit of a tear break where Mizzou is obviously not number one or number two. And then, when you look at the teams three through nine, all of them, I think, also have better cases than Missouri. I would not try to shove them in. Like I think it's just difficult to make the case for Mizzou over schools like even Virginia that has struggled a little bit but is still 13 and 3 and has had a few more quality wins. I I just think Missouri is worthy of the 10th spot. I don't think you can really put them much higher, but I I don't really see a justification for lower unless you want to say like 11 and then you shove one of those like big 12 teams that's been doing really well at 10. 
Yeah, well, I like the diversity here in this group as we have four people in the studio and two of them agree and two of them disagree and me and uh, Luca and I because I don't think that they deserve that 10 rating at all. And it starts back all the way at that TCU game where they won in overtime where they should have won that game in regular time when they almost blew the game. And then it goes back to Kentucky where they won by five and then they almost gave up the win against Alabama. So I'm with Luca on here. The team's too inconsistent. I don't think they deserve the 10 spot at all. If, I, if Honestly, I think, uh, like you said, I think Texas... Uh, and even West Virginia and them are even better than us. I like the way that you said, Luca, as in you think the team, uh, you think of it as can the team beat Mizzou? And I think, yes, those teams can beat Mizzou. I think Texas is well deserving of a 10 spot, not a 13 spot. I know they just got knocked off by Oklahoma State, but that's that team with Cade Cunningham is really hard to beat anyways. But I'm, I'm going to agree with Luca here and say that Mizzou is, is too high right now. So... Those that disagree with Ryan and I, Joe and Cole, I want you to answer this question, okay? If Missouri does not pull out this win tonight against Ole Miss, how far do you have them dropping? I would say definitely below Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, West Virginia. I'm with you. I would also probably drop them below Iowa, Tennessee. I'd probably put them around where Tennessee is right now, bump everyone else up, probably around 16 or 17. So if Mizzou were to lose in, at Ole Miss, the only way to keep that 10 spot or stay in like the 11, 9, 12 range from Mizzou is if they beat Arkansas at Mizzou Arena on Saturday night. If Mizzou loses to Ole Miss and Arkansas, I can definitely see them drop to like the 16, 17 range. But I think if you were to lose to Ole Miss and beat Arkansas, you'll probably stay in the same range as 11, 12, something like that. Okay. So yeah, once again, it's in it, it, my mindset. In the mindset of me, uh, it's personally just consistency. That's that's all. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. I mean, I noticed with certain games, especially the last couple of games with SEC opponents, Kentucky is historically bad this year. Okay, that's I mean, it's just one of the worst in program history, which is not which is not usual to see because we're used to seeing them in the top 25. Kansas is not there. We're usually used to seeing them in the top 25. And then you see them losing to Auburn the way they did. I mean, I don't see, I mean, seems like to me in the SEC, no one can guard Sharifi Cooper. No one seems to be able to guard him. He, he's something else, okay? But when you talk about the TCU game, that is something that is alarming to me and alarming to probably Mizzou fans as well. I mean, that team coming in was one of the worst shooting teams in the entire nation going in, one of the worst free throw shooting, uh, free throw shooting teams from the line, and their offense was very stagnant. Yes, they did play really good teams in Baylor and very good teams in Kansas. We saw that. But when you lose that badly and yet your identity is as defense, that looks pretty bad, especially with TCU. You had over 90 points. That does not look good. So, Luca, just to combat this point, I mean, I don't know how how much time we're going to spend on this Mizzou segment because, of course, there's a lot to talk about. But Mm -hmm. to bring up probably the worst loss... Mizzou's had all season that first game against Tennessee where absolutely Mizzou got absolutely outplayed offensively and defensively. And then everyone's like, oh, Mizzou is no longer ranked. Mizzou is no longer best in the SEC. Mizzou is no longer going to be in March Madness. Mizzou is no longer the team we thought they were when they beat teams like Wichita State, Oregon, Illinois. And then Mizzou traveled to Knoxville, got the revenge win, and I were like, wait a minute. Now Mizzou's suddenly gained some traction again. 
Yeah, no one's disagreeing with that. No one's disagreeing with that. I think they did a very good job in rebounding there, and especially in that game by itself. They look like one of the best teams in the nation. It's sort of a split personality difference. That's what it is to me. Like, you don't know which team you're going to get. The team that could easily be a top-five team in the nation or a team that looks like they shouldn't even be in the top 25. That's what it is to me. But I think it's time to move on to the NBA, in which we're going to move on to the Dallas Mavericks. And we remember, guys, that the Dallas Mavericks were a playoff team last year. And right now, they lay in the Western Conference third to last with an 11-14 record. And they are really struggling to rally some wins during this season alone. Yeah, they've won two in a row, but they better, they, they better hope they can turn things around before it's too late as this Western Conference is very competitive as they just they don't hold a really good record and they're basically, they are in third to last in that conference. So, Cole, I'll start with you. Um, what, do you what is going on with the Dallas Mavericks right now? Just an unfortunate situation. They, you know, lost, of course, Seth Curry, who is an elite shooter, so they no longer have as much shooting when they had before, so that really hurts the space when it comes to Luka and Kristaps Porzingis. And another issue with the Mavericks is Kristaps Porzingis. He's either always injured or he can't quite grasp that New York all-star status form they had when he was first drafted by the Knicks. And the main issue is, it's the same issue, in my opinion, as the Sitzers with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. You either have to trade Luka or you have to trade Porzingis. In my opinion, if I was Mark Cuban, if I was the GM for the Mavericks, I would keep Luka because he's a cornerstone for any franchise. Porzingis right now is not reached that all-star form, and who knows if he ever will be that again. Yeah, so far the New York Knicks looks like they have won that trade. I know it's very hard to say that because it's the New York Knicks we're talking here, but they got some good guys on this squad, right? You already said Luka, we get Kristaps Porzingis. You can even add Jalen Brunson in that. It's just, it seems like to me when I watch the Mavericks, it seems like Luka's the only one that could really score points. It looks like Kristaps Porzingis, he's only really scoring when it like when the game's almost over. And Josh Richardson, he's been inconsistent. Tim Hardaway Jr., another inconsistent uh, player. Uh, you could put Dorian Finney-Smith in there as well. He should be scoring a little bit more than he is right now. But when we talk about this team, they not only have really struggled this season because of injuries to Christoph Porzingis, but also COVID issues, right? We saw that with Maxi Kleber. We saw that with uh, Josh Richardson. I think he was out with a couple of weeks. I think it was an injury, or COVID injury, or COVID-related issue, whatever that was. But... It's just, it's really hard to battle between this season with COVID issues and injuries. It's very hard, especially at the Western Conference, this competitive. We're seeing teams in the Eastern, uh, the Western Conference, rather, that are there right now that are usually aren't there, right? Utah Jazz playing at an elite level right now. We see the Phoenix Suns. They're a turnaround team right now. San Antonio, right on time. Golden State, already there. So we see that. And we're wondering, well, when are the Mavericks going to hit their stride? When, when are they going to get there? And I think it has to do with everyone getting on the floor, everyone's in rhythm, and basically everyone's playing like they should be. But when does that happen, you know? Yeah, I, I think the issue there is, is there going to be a playoff spot for them at this point? Because we see, obviously, Jazz, Lakers, Clippers, lock that in. Those are the top three teams in the West. But then teams like the Suns, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Nuggets, and the Warriors – I would say those are, unless some tragic injury happens, I would say those are also locks for the next five slots. 
I think they could still push to make it in the play-in tournament. They're only about a game and a half back from the Sacramento Kings, who have the ninth seed right now. But this Mavericks team has just regressed in every category from last season. Last season, they had the number one offensive rating in NBA history, not just for the season. This season, they're average. They have the 15th offensive rating throughout the NBA. And then on defense, they were around average. They were at 18th last season. And now they're bottom five. They're at 26th. That's just brutal <laughs> for that this team. That is brutal. And when you look at Kristaps Porzingis, he's not himself offensively yet. I think that can get better. But defensively, I don't know if there's any hope of him getting back to those New York days. I remember watching all those highlights of him being able to get blocks on one end of the court, sprint down and hit those pull-up threes back in Madison Square Garden. But in Dallas, he's just had so many leg injuries at this point. I don't know if we're ever going to see that same defensive intensity we once saw from Kristaps. I also consider this point about Kristaps when he gets, I don't know how, you know, the three of you, everyone listening is going to agree with this opinion. I just thought of this, but I don't think Porzingis is motivated anymore to get back to New York for him. Because if you remember back in the draft, I can't remember what it was, whether it was 2015, 2016, he was picked fourth overall, and Knicks fans were there booing him. They did not want to draft him, and he was like, okay, I'm going to make it you know, special my rookie year. I'm going to go with the all-star game. I'm going to be literally the cornerstone of the fr- Knicks franchise and basically make Knicks fans like me. And now he got a huge contract extension, traded to Dallas, and no one boos him anymore. No one seems to be like, oh, who is this you know, European guy coming to the NBA with a top-four pick? You know... I don't know if it's that. I think it has more to do with um, he's he's too much in his head. I think it has too much to do with that. I don't know what it is necessarily, whether if it's from rehabbing injuries, if it's mental. But I can tell you this right now. He is shooting a career low from three-point range, only 31% this year. That's really bad. Luka's in the exact same category, but he is leading the team in scoring of 27 and 30 minutes. So you got to add something around him. And if I'm the Dallas Mavericks and I'm able to be able to get players around the trade deadline. Maybe look at a Zach Levine from the Bulls. Maybe look at a Kyle Lowry from the Toronto Raptors. They have got to add more depth around him. Otherwise, this team will fall apart. Yeah, I would add that where Josh Richardson, is. we haven't talked about him enough, is he's had a disappointing year so far for the yes. Dallas Mavericks. He's shooting 29% from three, which is just inexcusable, especially when Seth Curry, like you mentioned earlier, was in this system last year. I've been watching a lot of 76ers games this year because they're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Seth Curry is incredible as a secondary creator, especially when you have other guys like Tobias Harris who can score every now and then. But Josh Richardson just hasn't filled in that role as well as people were expecting. I was expecting him to be in a better situation like he was in Miami two years ago, but I think that just raises the question, is Josh Richardson going to ever return to when he was at his peak in Miami, when he finally figured things out defensively, when he was a good creator for that team? Because in Philly, he was pretty lost in that role. And right now in Dallas, he hasn't quite found it yet. I'll give him to the rest of the season. I'm not down on Josh Richardson yet, but it's a little concerning that Richardson and Christoph Porzingis, neither of them have really found their footing yet. Yeah, it is concerning. But um, we're going to head to a quick break. And then when we get back from break, uh, we'll head to the NFL, where there has been a lot of interesting news lately in terms of quarterbacks. And you'll be in your listen to KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. We'll be right back. If you love them enough to turn off your music. Bye, bye. 
and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Welcome back, everyone, to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM. Okay, so we're going to get to the NFL here in which there has been a lot of quarterback moves going around. We already saw Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff move team. We've heard stuff about Aaron Rodgers not being happy in, in Green Bay. We've heard Dak Prescott not in the Dallas Cowboys hype video. We heard about Russell Wilson literally throw his O-line under the bus yesterday in Dan Patrick's interview. So this is a very interesting year. So last week we saw reports emerging with the Chicago Bears and the Indianapolis Colts. With the two, those are the two biggest contenders to land Carson Wentz and a trade. And basically, it's about now who's in the driver's seat. So Cole, you're you're a Bears fan with me, okay? So bear with me here. Does Carson Wentz to the Bears? Is it gonna go through? Or is it gonna fall through? The Bears fan in me hopes that this does not go through because some quarterbacks have one really good year and then they fall off and are never that you know great year again. Of course, Carson Wentz was a MVP candidate in 2017, then he got injured and he's never been the same since. Jared Goff led the Rams to the Super Bowl under Sean McVay. God Sension at the time was the highest paid quarterback in history. And of course, Mahomes has something to say about that. Now, Jared Goff is now in Detroit. Cam Newton won MVP and went to Super Bowl 50 against the Broncos. And who knows what his future is, whether he's going to stay in New England or go to somewhere else, maybe Chicago. And then Carson Wentz, of course, this season led the NFL in sacks and led the in- NFL interceptions now everyone's like oh he had no weapons on you know wide receivers you know you have brought guys from the training camp his offensive line was injured the Eagles O-line was never the same like it's normally a above average offensive line but here's the my main gripe with that that opinion saying he has no weapons to throw to have you ever heard of a guy who also has no weapons to throw to named Deshaun Watson I did hear of him yeah he also had no weapons and then DeAndre Hopkins was traded for literal nothing. What did DeAndre Hopkins do with literally nothing, no weapons? Offensive line has been an issue for Houston for years. He had 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and let's just round up. It's 4,800, but let's just say 5,000 yards, all career highs. So how is Deshaun Watson able to do all this career high stuff with no weapons, but then Carson Wentz struggles, leads the NFL interceptions, and it's like, oh, he doesn't have any weapons to throw to. If he had weapons, he would be better. You know, I'm kind of like you calling this. Unfortunately, as much as I want this to fall through, this is going to go through. The reason I say that, <clears throat> which Carson Wentz should not want to go to the Bears, by the way, because he has a better chance. If he wants to revive his career, he should go to Indianapolis. That's where Frank Wright is, his offensive coordinator in 2017 when he has MVP year. So if, the, if I'm Carson Wentz, I would want to go there if I'm in the driver's seat. But what I saw with the Bears offered, I saw this in a couple reports. We don't know if this is true or not, but you had Tyreek Cohen in one, or Tariq Cohen, I'm sorry. You saw Nick Foles and then the first-round pick, which is number 20th. If I am the Chicago Bears, are you really trying to say, or I mean, the fan to me, are you trying to say that Carson Wentz is worth a first-round pick? This guy has fallen off a cliff, okay? He is no, it's not even mental anymore. 
I think it has to do with he just doesn't have it anymore. That's what it is. He doesn't listen. He's not a leader. It has <clears throat> all these things to do with it. Yeah, when you look at that 2017 MVP season, or I guess MVP candidate season, if you want to call it, he it, like all of the stats are sort of outliers in terms of touchdown rate, in terms of yards, in terms of touchdowns, interceptions. He has not been that quarterback since then, and we've had several years to see that at this point. And of course, last season he got benched repeatedly for Jalen Hurts. I think we should stop calling this like trying to acquire Carson Wentz, and it's really trying to acquire the Carson Wentz reformation project because it's not he he's not the guy he was in 2017. He might have the name because of that year, but he I don't think he has it anymore. And I think it's basically just do we think another team can try to reboot that? But I don't know how likely that really is at this point. Like Cole was saying with all those other quarterbacks, like Cam Newton or. Quarterbacks who have these really good seasons, maybe Josh Allen's going to be in that category in a few years, who knows? <laughs> but these quarterbacks who they have an outlier season, they kill the league, they shred, shred it up, they get a ton of yards, a ton of touchdowns, they're in the MVP race, and then it just goes back to normal. Carson Wentz is in that category. It's, it's, just, it's hard for me to see him getting back to that. I don't think it's possible. Yeah, Luke is probably going to disagree with me when I say this here, but I feel like Bears fans could be 50-50 about the situation. One, because there's probably Bears fans out there that are hoping that he will get back to his 2017-2019 days, but I just don't see that happening. He's, I think he's honestly a backup quarterback, if anything. And like Lucas said, they're giving away a first-round pick for a washed-up starter. And I could see why Carson Wentz would want to go there, because in the past couple of years, the Chicago Bears have been the one team that had the most quarterback controversy. So I could see he wants to go there. He wants to try to be that guy for them. But I just don't think he's that guy. He had those guys on the Eagles, and he just we saw what happened there. Uh, he couldn't play with them. And he's going to go to the Bears and try to do the same thing. I just don't see it happening. I think he's just a backup quarterback in the NFL today. Okay, you know what? Bears are not 50-50 when it comes to Carson Wentz, by the way. That is ridiculous. (laughs) 50-50? Maybe 80-20, okay? 80-no-20, yes, okay? Let's think about this here. The Chicago Bears have not had a franchise quarterback. I'm not not including Jim McMahon because he was not a franchise quarterback. The last one was Sid Luckman. Sid Luckman, okay? I think, I don't know who president, I don't know who the president was then. I'm not very good at history, but that's not the point here. The point is, that, that just Brian Pace, I don't know what this man is still doing here, okay? He traded up to get Mitch Trubisky and Leonard Floyd, both of which that were busts. Mitch Trubisky, he's off somewhere. He got engaged. Good for him. Leonard Floyd, he's on the Rams, dominant on that defense. He's definitely revived his career. But anything that has to do with quarterbacks, Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace should have their fingerprints off of it. Okay? Anyone that is a Chicago Bears fan should know these two cannot get a quarterback. I'm not blaming Matt Nagy about the the Mitch Trubisky incident when they drafted him in 2017 because he was not there. That was John Fox. That's all Ryan Pace. But what Matt Nagy did not do is that he did not develop Mitch Trubisky correctly. And he also failed Nick Foles. So these two should have no say in a quarterback whatsoever. Cole, you look mad. What's wrong? No, we're, uh, we're, we're looking up who was president when Sid Luckman was quarterback. <laughs> oh, who was it? FDR was running for his uh, fourth term at this point. Back FDR. Back in uh, 1939 was when Sid Luckman was. Okay. Uh, All right. So that was around, what, 1942 or something like that? Yeah. 
Okay, 1942. We're in the year of 2021. Let's just say that my grandparents were about 12, 13 years old. Yeah, that's just that that just proves it. But another reason why the Bears would silly just basically do this is because well they messed up they missed out on Matthew Stafford. I would have been fine with Matthew Stafford. But personally, they saw that Mac Jones, he didn't stay out, he didn't stand out in the way in that senior bowl that Justin Herbert or Josh Allen did in a couple of years. So that's another thing that's gonna be like, ooh, we don't want Mac Jones now. Get Trey Lance or something like that. This Carson Wentz deal is not a good idea. And basically with the Bears, I think what they're their exact thinking, I know exactly what it is. We believe we can get Carson Wentz back to his 2017 form. In any way that happens, the only reason he will become that again is because of Frank Wright. Anyone else, he is not fixable. It's over for him. So the main problem with the whole Bears, Carson Wentz, and of course, Luke and I are the Bears fans, so we know what it's like to not have a franchise quarterback. And then, of course, we know what happened last offseason. They brought in Nick Foles. You know, they brought in Mac Nagy, of course. Matt Nagy and Nick Foles, you know, have a history together. So we're like, oh, okay, this is, you know, what's going to work. You know, Mitch Trubisky, he's playing for this contract. You know, the Bears declined his fifth-year option. If it doesn't work, hey, Nick Foles is going to be a starter. Nick Foles is going to be the final starting quarterback that the Bears have desperately needed since 1985. And obviously, that didn't pan out the way we hoped. And now Carson Wentz, the main problem with the Bears' sweepstakes and all this is Obviously, Bears fans don't want this to happen. We don't want it to happen because we can already predict in the future. We knew Trubisky was not going to pan out. We knew Nick Foles was not going to pan out. We know the history of Bears quarterbacks. But the main problem is Bears fans don't want it to happen. But if I get a tweet from Adam Schefter saying Bears have officially traded for Carson Wentz for the trade that Luca was talking about earlier, I would not be surprised in the slightest. You know, if that happens, I actually may break my phone because I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to be very angry. But let's just move on to the next topic. Uh, we all saw the Super Bowl, a very lopsided Super Bowl. Not what I was expecting personally, along with others probably, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are officially the Super Bowl champions. Tom Brady earned his seventh ring. Congratulations to him. And obviously the Bucs just handled Mahomes like there was no tomorrow. The guy was pressured 29 times. That is a Super Bowl record. In Tampa Bay, sent extra pass rushers on just two of those plays. So, let's talk about how, let's see, uh, Ryan, I'm going to have you answer this question first. Do you think it is more or less likely that we will see this exact same Super Bowl rematch next year? You know, it's a tough question only because there's so many good teams out there that we don't know what their offseason is going to look like. But obviously, it, I'm going to refer to it as GOAT 1 and GOAT 2 and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, and I think they're going to be in Super Bowls, NFC Championships, AFC Championships for for years to come. I know I say years, but obviously we don't know how much longer Tom Brady has, but if you see the man, he clearly doesn't want to stop playing football yet. And I just think those two guys, if, you, if they're on the team with the, that they play for, the Buccaneers and Chiefs, I think those are two teams that, yes, we could really see in the next couple of years in a Super Bowl again, especially if they have another great year like they had, they had this year. I know the Chiefs are going to have an outstanding year next year. The Buccaneers should have another good year, but it really just depends on what happens in that organization. Does does Gronk just get too old and he just falls apart? Like He was doing really good in the Super Bowl and the playoffs, but in the regular season, he wasn't really the Gronk that we knew, but then in the, in the playoffs, he really turned it on. So the question is, do the Buccaneers get too old, per se, or do they just stay the way they are? And if they stay the way they are, I think there's a dang good chance we could have another Super Bowl rematch next year. 
Yeah, I I think the concern here is just going to be cap space because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a lot of people they need to bring back with Levante David, Gronkowski, Chris Godwin, Ngannou and Sue, Leonard Fournette, Ryan Suckup, and they only have about $28 million worth of cap space to get all of these guys back. So I'm going to need to see if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can pull that off, trying to bring back some of this team and then also try to make the necessary changes that every team needs to do from time to time just to switch things up. And from what I saw with the Chiefs, I just think that that offensive line needs to be overhauled or needs some sort of serious improvement if they're going to be contenders in a Super Bowl. Because I think teams are going to look at what Todd Bowles did against them in the Super Bowl and try to replicate that. You're absolutely correct. I mean, let's see what we saw from Patrick Mahomes. I mean, this guy... He had a QBR of 49.9. That is the second worst of his NFL career that we just saw in the Super Bowl. Um, I have never seen Patrick Mahomes that rattled before in his NFL career. That was bad. Okay, that was just pure bad. I know it was the offensive line. It was not and hot healthy and all that good stuff. But, man, did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers get him. But I think the answer is less likely, and I'm going to say why. I don't think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will get back there next year unless everyone comes back. Okay, Tom Brady, I already know he's going to be there. I mean, Tom Brady ain't retiring. I mean, he doesn't. He never even hinted at the fact that he'll retire. But what I can see in the NFC, this is a very, very competitive conference next year, in my opinion. You're going to have the Packers again. I can see that already, except they're going to fall apart again in the NFC Championship game like usual. Um, the Saints, I don't know what the Saints are actually going to be. Drew Brees is going to retire, but... If Taysom Hill comes in there and plays the way that he did before, I could see the, the Saints being a problem. Um, Seattle, um, I'm a little iffy with Seattle because can they play defense? Can their O-line be improved? Because Russell Wilson literally just threw his team under the bus yesterday. Um, and I think the other team that I'm going to add in this is the Rams. Um, the Rams are going to be definitely a big, big problem for any team that's trying to get to the Super Bowl. Now you got Matthew Stafford as your quarterback. You got a dominant defense, one of the probably the first, the best overall defense in the National Football League. And Matthew Stafford, I think he can win when it matters the most. But he was in Detroit, so we'll see what happens. But when it comes to Kansas City, um Buffalo is on the rise, except they have not reached the heights of Kansas City yet. You got Josh Allen, you got Stephon Diggs, you got a decent defense to go along, but a dire need in terms of the running back. Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, that's just not going to cut it. Cleveland's on the rise. You got Baker Mayfield. You got Jarvis Landry. You got a susceptible second there. You got to fix that. Great running game. And then I think the one that really gets me the most is Miami because we still have yet to figure out, are they going to trade for Deshaun Watson and get rid of Tua Tungavailoa? Because if that's the case... The Miami Dolphins are almost there. They have a really good defense. They were just rattling that last game. They got receivers. If Tua's there this year, they will not be Super Bowl favorites because, well, it's Tua's first full season. But And then Pittsburgh's iffy because of free agents, no running game. And then Baltimore simply because Lamar Jackson needs to improve as a uh, passer. But my, in my opinion right now, I don't see anyone standing in Kansas City's way to get back. So to first answer to before I answer this question, if I see a Super Bowl rematch, I just want to talk about the offensive line for the Chiefs. Obviously, we saw what happens when the Chiefs O line is not themselves and what Mahomes really is when he's out of his element. And this was his worst loss of his of his NFL career. 
This is the first time in his NFL career where he's lost by more than double-digit points. Just want to put that out there. Also, the offensive line, their left tackle, he won. I want to say he was either, I think he was like all-decade left tackle or something. He won some or like that. And then left guard is a multi-time pro baller, and they lost both those guys in the Super Bowl. So when it comes to left ta- left tackle and left guard protection, they were obviously weak, and we knew that going into the game, but we didn't know how important they were until the Super Bowl kicked off. And to answer his question, if the Super Bowl rematch between the Chiefs and Bucks are going to happen, no, it's not. Absolutely not. And it's not for the camp space. It's not for, oh, will the Chiefs be back? Will the Bucks be back? It's for the simple reason. What Super Bowl did we just get through on Sunday? What year? 2020. Well, Super Bowl 55 is what I was trying to get at. But... Oh, okay. <laughs> so we got through 55 Super Bowls. Do you know how many times both teams went up in a rematch in the Super Bowl? Is it zero? It's once. Oh, it's once. In 1993. So 54 Super Bowls, teams do not have a Super Bowl rematch. That's a good point. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that, but... I think we all have the same mindset here, but um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back from break, uh, we're going to introduce a new segment to the show. It's making its debut today, so be sure to tune back in to Around the Waves on KCU 88.1 FM. We'll be right back. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire, and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it. Drowned it again and felt that it was cold? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update! I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Welcome back, everyone, to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM. Uh, today we're gonna make a uh, today's segment is called "Pass the Puck." It's making its debut on our show uh, this week, where basically Ryan and I talk about our hockey team. So Ryan, you're a St. Louis Blues fan right now. Obviously, they're one of the best teams in the National Hockey League on paper, and they are basically a good Stanley Cup favorite this year. So talk to us about the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, no, Luca. The St. Louis Blues definitely, I would say, a top five team this year, but just. The last couple of games, they just have not looked like that. The offense has gone very quiet, um, losing three in a row to Arizona Coyotes, which, honestly, at the beginning of the year, we didn't even have them circled as a really contender that was even going to be hard to face on the schedule. Obviously, we thought that would be Vegas and Colorado, but Arizona just giving us some problems as well. The defense basically non-existent as well, and this just team's just too inconsistent, and obviously the number one problem here, and it's... Every St. Louis fan's going to agree with me here. It's going to be the goalie controversy. Obviously, Bennington's not his 2019 self. He's not looking as good as he obviously was. Our backup, Vili Huso, this is his first ever full-time start and probably year in the NHL, so we really don't know how much we have to see from him. Now, of course, he did get his first NHL win, but the defense played really well in front of him. Um, But the last couple games he's played, the defense have played very, very poorly. So it's just... The team's very inconsistent. I like to say they're a top-five team, obviously. They should make the playoffs again, but they're very inconsistent. They need to work on that. The acquirement of um, Hoffman really helps us out, and definitely Tory Krug. That, those guys are very well for us as well. But it's just not the St. Louis team of old, and it's just 
going to be a kind of a struggle to see how they play in back-to-back games, even just in games in general. They're just so inconsistent, it's not even funny. All right, well, that's the blues for you. I'm going to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks because I'm a Blackhawks fan. So, I just want to mention the fact. Um, I read this before the season started. I think I should read it now because I think it's very important. So, before the season started, one national sports website predicted that Jeremy Colleton, the Blackhawks head coach, would be the first coach fired, adding that, quote, he is as arguably the worst team in the league. There's a high probability that things uh, uh, get ugly quick, end quote. Okay, let's think about this very quickly here. Obviously, the Blackhawks, even Stan Bowman was very honest about it in the offseason. He literally sent all uh, Blackhawks season ticket holders a letter saying that we are not competing this year, do not expect us to make the playoffs. Basically is what that said. Well, this team has been pretty impressive the last couple of games. Uh, Obviously, the first couple of games, I think it was the first four or five, they let five goals each game. Subban got two starts. Colin Dealey got two starts. And I think Lankinen may have let in one uh, one or two, uh, one start with five goals. But that's not the point here. The point is this team has been something else. It's not a team that you would expect to almost it to be third in the conference right now. They have played more t- uh, games than the other teams, but the point is, I think this team is not that bad in terms of retooling. They got some playmakers on this team that are quite impressive. The blue line has been improved the last couple of games. Obviously, Connor Murphy is one of the best blue liners on our team. Duncan Keith, another veteran presence, but I've liked what I've seen from Ian Mitchell a lot. Uh, Nikita Zadorov. He's iffy. He's all right. Kelvin DeHaan, he's pretty okay. But I think the goaltending has really got me because Corey Crawford, one of the best Blackhawks goalies in franchise history, he retired. And the next season, all Blackhawks fans, I remember, I'm, I'm going to include myself in this, we were just, we were lost. We had no clue what to expect. We had three goaltenders that could have started. We had Malcolm Subban, Colin Delia, and Kevin Lankinen. Well, the first couple of games, not so pretty against Tampa Bay. But obviously, they're the defending Stanley Cup champions, so I'll give them credit. But I honestly think Kevin Lankinen is a hidden gem within that Blackhawks organization. He is able to get those timely saves. He has great vision, great reflexes, stick handling, not giving up second chances. I think he has a lot of promise in that Blackhawks net. Now, Malcolm Subban... A great backup, in my opinion. Cole, you have a couple of words for the Blackhawks? So I'm going to come clean. I don't watch as much hockey as you do, Luca, with the Blackhawks, or you, Ryan, with the Blues. But I'm just going to say this one quick point about the Blackhawks. Obviously, they're not the you know returning mini-dynasty they had in the, mini in the early 2010s when they won three Stanley Cups in five years. And personally, as a Blackhawks fan, I don't know if, Luca, you feel the same way, but personally, I don't care if they get back to that Stanley Cup stardom or not because I at least got to witness it with my own eyes at least a few times in my life. Yeah, I mean, this uh, particular season in mind, um, I do not mind if they don't make the playoffs. I just need a team that is watchable. That's it. But the last 10 games, they are 6-1-3. And on a three-game winning streak, they just swept the Stars in Dallas And then they beat a previous game uh, against Carolina. Uh, Their offense is not the best, 
but I didn't really expect their offense to be the best because we take out take into consideration here that Jonathan Taze, Kirby Dock, and Alex Nylander, they're all basically in long-term injured reserve. We don't know when they're going to come back. Brent Seabrook is having issues, but he's not the same Brent Seabrook that we saw in the dynasty. But what I would say is that there's a lot of good players on this team that have shown me that they are actually going to be pretty damn good. Uh, you got uh, you got um, Yammark. I think he's going to be a very good player. Uh, Dylan Stromey stepping up. Suter, one of the rookies. I like what he has. Uh, Alex DeBrinkin, he's finding that uh, rhythm again. Dominic Kubalik. Um, Kurashev, I like him a lot. Uh, you got Brandon Hagel. He is something very different. I, I personally did not think he was going to be that great. I think he was going to be he's going to be all right. But Patrick Kane, I think, has been one of those people on this team that has just flown under the radar because he's not really scoring. But the point is, he may not be scoring as much, but he's being a great mentor and facilitator of the puck. I have never seen this before. Yeah, they're only scoring like two goals a game, but they're playing better on defense. And I think the last time I checked, a win is a win. The Blackhawks are not even supposed to make the playoffs this year. They're not even supposed to. They were supposed to be, according to a lot of people, the third worst team in the National Hockey League, only behind the Red Wings and the Senators. Uh, They don't look like a third worst team to me. Yeah, they got their behinds kicked with Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay is a very good team. If I'm looking at this division right now, let's see. You got Columbus. You got Carolina. You got... Let's see, Florida, Detroit, Nashville. I think they could beat Nashville. I think they could beat Detroit. I think they can give Florida a test. I think they can beat Carolina, which they already did. They already beat Dallas. I think they could beat Columbus. The only team I don't, I'm not confident about this team is Tampa Bay. That's it. I think this team may actually make the playoffs this year. They, I mean, going into today, they were given a 45% chance of making the playoffs. They make the playoffs. They may be a year ahead of schedule. Bold take from Luca Vitale. I like it. It's 2020. Literally anything can happen. Uh, one team I'm going to point out to you, Luca, though, is Florida Panthers. That team has been on a roll lately. I think that's another team that can give you trouble. But luckily for you, the four te- top four teams do advance. And honestly, I have to agree, man. I, I see. I think Chicago could slip in a little pl- a playoff op- option this year. Uh, just get, get back to the Blues real quick. Um, they actually face Coyote three more times. This is a seven-game series, so to say, because of COVID. And we were on a hot we were on a hot streak before we faced Coyotes, but Coyotes ended the streak. They've done it so many times in the past. We've won on an eight game winning streak. I forgot what year it was, but who who knocked it out? Coyotes. We were on a six game winning streak one year. Who knocked us out? Coyotes. Coyotes. I don't know what it is, but I know none of you probably watched the Blues game last time. But the last game we played, we gave up a, a tying goal with 0.5 seconds left in the game, and then we lost in a shootout because Braden Shen mishandled the puck. But I mean, other than that. The team, like I said, has just been inconsistent. And it's going to be exciting to see what they can do Saturday against this Arizona team because Arizona's came to play every game of the se- season in series that we've faced them so far. I really hope that the Blues put out a 2019-type game because it's what we need. Uh, I don't know if they'll go with Bennington. I'm sure they will. He's p- kind of been our guy this year. He's, he's done well, but he's just obviously not that 2019 mark. But it'll be exciting to see what the Blues do on um, Saturday against the Coyotes because we really do need to beat them. All right, just to close up the show very quickly, Ryan, I know we were supposed to do this segment today about the uh, conference team's champions, but I'm just going to do a quick survey, okay? So just say the team, and we'll be finished there. All right, for the Central, I got the Lightning. What do you have? You know, I'm going to go with the Florida Panthers. 
Okay. The East, I have the Flyers for that. I'm going to go with the Boston Bruins. Okay. The North, I actually got the Montreal Canadiens. Um, that's a toss-up, man. That one's tough. I got to go... Yeah, I, I think the Canadians probably the the, the the best team. The Maple Leafs could give them a run, but I think the Canadians could pull that off. In the West, I got the jersey on you're wearing right now, the Vegas Golden Knights. I got to go Vegas Golden Knights, too. All right. Well, everyone, uh, thanks for tuning in today. Joe and Cole, thanks for joining us today. And, Ryan, I'll have you close it out. Yeah, so tonight, uh, get set. Uh, Mizzou gets the, ready to face Ole Miss. We previewed that game earlier in the segment. Uh, but it'll be a good one. But, hey, if you're not doing anything, next Wednesday, 2 o'clock, we'll be right here. And, hey, we will see you around.